Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver, and if you're listening, then you know that this show is all about horror movies, exploitation movies, gems in the rough, uh, little scene movies, movies that should be seen, and I'm here to bring those movies to you. And I've got four uh, thumbs-up movies today uh, uh, on the list, and of complete opposite ends of the spectrum too with regards to uh, underbelly. So um, two of them are underbelly mainly because of the director and then the other two are just complete grindhouse underbelly uh, fun. So I'm going to start off with the movie that I had hinted at uh, on my last episode that I was going to talk about and that is 1986's Chopping Mall directed by Jim Wynorski and written by Jim Wynorski. And this is a Roger Corman production, I believe. Um, uh, not a hundred percent sure on that. Uh, yes, it is pr- produced by Concord Pictures. So it is. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, I've watched this movie throughout the years in various forms of the first time I watched it was on VHS, and uh, I, I recall growing up always seeing this movie in the video stores on, on VHS and thinking, this has got to be the coolest movie ever because the cover is this uh, mutant robotic-type hand holding a, uh, a shopping bag with uh, severed body parts in it, an eyeball and a hand and a foot and a head and... Uh, and the tagline is where shopping can cost you an arm and a leg. And I just thought that has got to be the coolest movie ever. And, uh, and this, and this, this, I was pretty young when I saw this in the video stores and we're talking like early teens. I didn't see it for years. Um, so I finally got around to watching the movie and I was of course quite let down because the cover, uh, what it promises on the cover, it does not deliver in the movie. But that's not to say that it's not a good movie. Um, I was let down the first time I saw it. In fact, I, re- I remember thinking, well, that wasn't very good. I'll probably never watch that again. That was nothing like the uh, the box. Um, and what's funny is um, even though the cool cover art is not really in the movie, the movie itself is a blast of 77 minutes 77 minutes worth of fun uh the the storyline is as simple as you can get group of teenagers trapped inside after hours in a high-tech shopping mall quote unquote high-tech by the way and pursued by three murderous security robots out of control there you go that and that's literally there's not a whole lot else to to say about the movie other than um uh, as far as the storyline goes, it's so short. The running time is so short that there's almost no breathing room. And that was, I, I think I've mentioned this before, that's how Roger Corman liked to, to get his movies shot is short, sweet, and to the point. Don't bore the audience. And you know what? For movies like this and the Sorority House Massacre movies uh, and stuff like uh, Galaxy of Terror, Forbidden World, 
stuff like that that clocks in at 80 minutes, 75 minutes. You know what? It all the more power to him. I uh, can appreciate that. And I it makes these movies so much more enjoyable when they're not padded out. And this one here, um, granted, there's a little bit of padding towards the end of running around a mall being chased by robots. But uh, I was never bored. And I've watched this movie now, uh, I would say, probably about... Um, maybe four or five times, and each time I watch it, I like it more. Uh, it's it's completely unpretentious. Um, it it is shot well for what it is. I got to tell you, I you know I'm like you know, uh, good old uh, good old Jim. He knows how to make a lean mean horror movie. I've seen numerous movies from him and. Almost all of them I enjoy. I will say uh, this about Jim. Uh, his shooting style is is quite funny. In fact, there was a documentary made uh, about him that's very, very good. Uh, and the title of that escapes me at the moment, but it is a really good movie. But it shows how he go, goes about making movies. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I enjoy his shot on film movies much more than his shot on video uh, unfortunately, I think that some of the more recent movies that I've seen from him, uh, there was a couple of mutant insect movies that he made, uh, the sci-fi original type deals, and I didn't much care for those. It did not help that it had that very, very, very video look to it versus film. Um, and Shopping Mall was shot on film. So uh, the acting in the movie is completely... Uh, Standard issue 80s horror acting. And I would not expect anything less or anything more. I, I like that. Barbara Crampton is in, is in this. And Barbara Crampton, I'm impressed um, that uh, that they got her in this. She was in from Beyond Reanimator. She actually was uh, the mom in Your Next, the movie that came out a couple years ago. And Castle Freak, she's got a great filmography. She's been in a lot of good stuff. Uh, Lords of Salem. She was uh, in Lords of Salem, which I love, love Lords of Salem. It has underrated gem. Um, and she's been in some full moon movies, uh, Puppet Masters, Robot Wars, Trancers Part 2. Um, so anyway, uh, she's a she's a good uh, 80s horror actress. So I liked that she was in that movie. But everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, and I... I Really like that. Uh, the lead actress, Kelly uh, Maroney, I believe is how you pronounce her name. She was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Night of the Comet. Um, and she's actually still working. She's actually still getting some work. So um, good for her. So anyway, uh, I will say this. And, and this is a little tiny bit of a spoiler, but not really, because it's about a group of teenagers getting killed in a mall by these big, goofy-looking robots. So they're, you know, spoilers away. Here we go. Uh, I, I love the, the, the highlight of the movie is uh, one, of the, uh, one of our cast gets their heads blown off. And it was done extremely well. And every time I watch this movie, I'm like, man, that was, that was a good effect for this type of production. That was, that was good. It gets me every time. And I like that. So um, anyway... There's, there's that, but the robots look like oversized dumpsters with heads and little weird Tyrannosaurus Rex-type arms and that shoot out electricity or something, and whenever they uh, 
whenever they kill someone, they they have to say, have a nice day. And it's great. Um, anyway, uh, I, big thumbs up. Originally, the movie was called, uh, and this actually got a theatrical release in March of 1986. And the uh, title, the original title was Killbots. Uh, but it did perform poorly during its initial release, and the producers felt that the movie's title might have disinterested audiences. Although I like Killbox, but Chopping Mall is a great title. Um, th- they were afraid that audiences would uh, think that the original movie poster um, was for a Transformers-like child's cartoon instead of a violent exploitation movie. Uh, and then it was really re-released on video uh, with a new title and... Over 15 minutes of the movie cut out. And you know what? Watching this movie, uh, one, Chopping Mall works way better. And two, I don't think I would want this movie to be longer than fifth, longer than it is. It, it works perfectly well with what it is. So um, I think that's cool. There are a lot of, uh, of background posters in the movie of other Corman movies. I, uh, I believe Lost Empire is in there. And I want to say that um, I recall seeing Forbidden World and or Galaxy of Terror posters uh, in there as well. So Jim Wynarski provided the voices of the three uh, protector robots. They're the protector robots. Uh, the Killbot claws were made from plastic toy grippers adapted with electric uh, something or other. Um, so anyway, I think that that's great budget for the movie was uh, around $800,000. And here's why I like 35 millimeter film, especially for these older movies is that's a low budget, um, for a theatrical release movie, but, uh, you couldn't tell, like, and I don't have it on DVD. I haven't even seen a, an HD version of this movie yet, but something about, uh, shot on film, it just elevates the movie to a different level of professionalism, even if it's a, a you know, a movie like this, a Z-grade 80s uh, horror movie, you know, complete with, you know, your gratuitous nudity and, and a couple kill scenes and fast-paced whatever. But uh, I got to tell you, I, um, I, was, I was very pleased with the look of the film and all that good stuff. Um, and Jim had, no, I'm just reading some of the notes here, Jim had no problem working with Roger Corman uh, and knew beforehand that Corman always kept expenses to a complete bare minimum. And I'm going to get into uh, Roger Corman's type stuff here in just a second. Um, uh, there's a ton of notes. And uh, and I would advise, if you're if you're interested in this, watch the movie. It's on, uh, there's a DVD, a, a two-disc set with a whole bunch of really cool 80s, uh, 80s horror movies on it. I picked it up for five or six bucks, and it's great. The Unholy is on there. Class of 1999, um, uh, Chud Part 2, I think, is on there. Ghoulies Part 3 is on there, which Jim Wynorski directed that one. That's a that's quite a movie. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, special effects crew, I'm just reading a couple more things here. Special effects crew actually built five remote-controlled robots to serve as the protector killbots. Three were required for the scenes of the robots together in the first half of the film with two extras as backups in the event that the originals were damaged during any of the action sequences. In order to keep the robots looking realistic, as well as the film's budgetary constraints, they were constructed out of such items as wheelchair frames and pieces of conveyor belt. 
excluding shooting laser beams, most of what the killbots are seen doing on screen was the result of the effects crew operating them with a remote control. So that's kind of cool, in, in my opinion. Uh, there were talks of making a sequel after the film um, did earn decent box office, uh, uh, but... Um, Anyway, it never happened. I wish it would because it's. Uh, I would love to see a remake of this one. Uh, it's it's a guy. It's got a great storyline, um, and, and there's been numerous movies that have been made with people trapped in either a mall or something like that, and a robot out to kill them or guard dogs or whatever it, it may be. So, um, anyway, it, it gets a big thumbs up from me. I I enjoy it more and more uh, every time I watch it, and I did want to say. Uh, Roger Corman. Um, I'm going to jump over to Roger Corman now, uh, j- just mainly because of what uh, of this movie, and I-, I watched a great documentary on him, and it's so interesting to see what um, the expansive the expansiveness of Roger Corman, uh, and I watched. Um, Two movies from Roger Corman, and these are older uh, 60s Poe adaptions, and one was The Tales of Terror, and it's a it's an anthology movie, and the reason I'm bringing this one up right now is because there's a fantastic documentary on here about director Roger Corman, and uh, James Cameron chimes in, Martin Scorsese, Ron Howard, uh, Jonathan Demme, there are a bunch of people chime in on... on uh, Everything Roger Corman, and I think it's it's uh, so cool to to hear how he got started and the ingenuity of just what it took for him to to break into the scene and to make money. This guy makes money uh, with how he does things, and I think it's fantastic. And watching this, um, it's so cool to watch these old Poe adaptions directed by Roger Corman. Uh, there is a certain elegance to them, even though they. Uh, a lot of them looked like they were filmed on a soundstage. These are not like they are cheap, but they're not cheap, cheesy, um, silly exploitation movies. These are serious uh, Poe adaptions done very, very well. And being that they were shot a lot on sound stages and they have that soundstage feel, uh, it actually adds, I think, to the feel of the movie. And these uh, these definitely have the old Hammer horror feel to them. And, uh, I think that's great. I, uh, I love that. I love the fact that, um, that these have been elevated. These are not, these are not cheesy grindhouse movies. And so, um, anyway, but watching the, I'm jumping all over the place here and that's okay. Watching the, the Corman documentary, I just thought it was really cool how everybody had such good things to say about him and how, uh, he, he was so ingenious as to how he broke into the industry and how he was able to back then and still make these super low budget movies and uh, have them turn a profit. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, I'm very, very impressed. Uh, and I will, ch- I'm going to chime in real quickly here on tales of terror. I don't think that this is the best Poe adaption uh, that uh, Roger Corman did. He did, uh, I think six or seven of them uh, haunted palace uh, Pit in the Pendulum, The Raven, uh, House of Usher, a couple others. So anyway, but I'm going to focus right now on um, on Tales of Terror. And this one here has three short stories. Um, all of them, in my opinion, are 
are good. Some are better than others, as is usually the case with uh, with anthology movies. And the first one is called Morella. And uh, Morella is uh, about Vincent, Pr- Vincent Price is in all of these, and he elevates all of these movies immediately. Uh, when, in, when Vincent Price is on camera, it just seems to be elevated to a, a higher standard. Uh, in Morella, uh, Vincent Price plays a tormented man forced to confront a dark family secret when his long estranged daughter tracks him down. Uh, the Black Cat is a second story, and he, uh, the Black Cat, he, Vincent Price is the rakish lover of the wife of Peter Lore, who, nat- who naturally plots a deadly revenge. Uh, and in the title role of Vincent Price, in the title role of the facts of the case of M. Vladimir, he tries to relieve chronic pain by asking Basil Rathbone to hypnotize him, something that leaves poor Valdemar hovering on the border between the dead and the living. Um, this movie has some some laughs in it, uh, especially the Black Cat, which was probably my favorite one, mainly because of the humor found in it. I, I thought that was really neat. Um, but all the stories... Uh, this is a good anthology movie. It's not uh, as good as the Amicus anthology movies of the uh, very early 70s, like... Uh, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, stuff like that. I liked those a little bit more. Those had a little bit more of a zinger gotcha ending to uh, to the endings there. But this, these here are still very, very good. It's shot very, very well. And uh, I got to tell you, I have the Arrow Blu-ray release of this. And the, uh, the special features on this thing are fantastic. There's the hour-long documentary thing on Roger Corman. And uh, Kim Newman, which I always like to hear Kim Newman chime in on. He's from the UK, and I always like to hear him chime in on uh, anything and everything Hammer-related or uh, these types of movies. Uh, he, uh, I believe that he does a segment in in Empire Magazine, uh, the uh, trash. Well, I, he's got like one page in Empire Magazine. I'm pretty sure that's him. Uh, but anyway, I he talks about Edgar Allan Poe, the novelist. Uh, and the uh, he just looks on how his influ- Poe's influence has been on the big screen, and uh, then there's also a, a documentary type thing on the cat cats in horror movies, and then a short movie, The Black Cat, uh, from 1993. I watched a little bit of it, didn't like it, especially after watching the very very good Black Cat in the actual movie. I'm like, eh. Uh, and I will say this, uh, chiming in on the Black Cat, I think that the best adaption of that story thus far for me personally, is the Lucio Fulci movie, The Black Cat. Uh, although there is one from uh, um, from uh, the uh, Tales from the Dark Side movie, I believe. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's based on the Poe uh, story. If it's not, then sorry. Uh, who knows? It might be based on a Stephen King short story. I don't know. Uh, but anyway... Um, so there's that. Okay, so I need to move on here. But uh, trilogy of terror, very very good, uh, worth the price alone for that uh, for that director segment on Roger Corman. Uh, there is so many great stories on that short documentary on um, on just everything Roger Corman and how he did things. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, next up, I'm going to jump back to um, another grindhouse 
underbelly movie. And I just watched this movie last night, and uh, it's it's something else. It is uh, called Slaughterhouse from 1980. I believe it's 1986 or 87. Um, it is, uh, hey boy, Buddy has an axe to grind, a big axe, you see. So I just got this. It's a UK DVD from the uh, ever-growing popularity uh, 88 films. I think that they are kind of getting the baton uh, passed to them from uh, Arrow. I think Arrow is... It seems like Arrow is really doing a lot more uh, classic movies, uh, movies with higher budgets and stuff like that. And some some of the uh, more grindhousey type movies, it seems like 88 films are picking up the slack on that. And that's okay. I'm cool with that. It's, um, I think that these are really good movies, and I'm glad that they're at least being released somehow. Uh, so I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. If you love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes, then you are sure to pig out with the sicko shocks of 80s fright favorite Slaughterhouse. This corpse-ridden classic introduces one of the screen's most memorable madmen in Buddy, a cleaver-wielding backwoods baddie who, along with his father, Lester, doesn't take kindly to to trespassers. Buddy was brought up killing and packing meat, but now his rage turns to teens and market capitalists seeking to buy out his dad's property. Shame on them. The end result is a tongue-in-cheek terror totem that returns from the VHS vaults to Blu-ray, in this great new HD master scanned from the original negative by director Rick Rossler. Uh, and first I'm going to just, I'm just going to get this out of the way. This movie is, uh, is not that good. However, I thought it was a blast. And if you're listening to this show, then you know the type of movie that I'm talking about. It's, it's fairly poorly made. And, uh, on top of that, it's, uh, you can tell it's super low budget, fairly cheesy, but everything about it still works. The music, although completely ridiculous, works. The killer is cool. He's this big, nasty-looking, overweight, gross, inbred-looking dude, uh, which I must say uh, he had a cameo in one of my favorite 80s movies called Blood Diner. He was a, a biker that gets run over continuously back in uh, just – constantly being run over by this van in Blood Diner from one of the killer brothers in that movie. That movie is fantastic, by the way. Um, but it's uh, just unpretentious 80s fun. I liked the acting in it. was was cheesy and cool and funny. The lead cop uh, is... Uh, it's funny how much he looks like James Cameron in it. I was like, oh, James Cameron's in this. Good. All right. Um, but... The, the acting is what it is, and everything follows the typical 80s slasher formula to a T. There's some, uh, there's some good gore in it. In fact, this was a movie that was heavily cut for a long time and is now uncut, and it, it has some great gory scenes in it. Uh, I will say it's odd that a movie like this that is very kind of just gross and gritty and dirty features no nudity, and there's like th- three... 80s chicks in the movie. I'm just su- very surprised that a movie like this that caters to a certain crowd wouldn't go there, um, especially when there is uh, there is a substantial amount of of silly 80s gory scenes in it. But eh, regardless, whatever. So 
basically, you know, you've got your teenagers and you got a couple of cops and then you got the bad guy or guys killing them off and uh then there's the final girl and blah blah blah. You know the drill. It's it's um is there a music scene in it? Yep. Uh it just follows this this uh this pattern. The music is hilarious though. I will say that. Uh that um a lot of the uh, 80s slasher movies, yeah, there was some cheesy cheesy music in it, but this one here it's really cheesy. Like it's hee-haw weirdness for some reason. I I don't know, but um, I enjoyed it for what it was. It added to the fun. Um, will I watch it again? Heck yeah, I will. It's it was a good time. Uh, so and then again, another example of a movie that if this would be made now and shot with one of these newer HD cameras, I would probably hate it. Uh, but the fact that it it even though it's cleaned up and it looks really good on Blu-ray, it still has this '80s feel to it that can't be emulated anymore. It seems, and uh, man, I dug it. Uh, I I liked the way it looked. I liked the everything about it was cool. It's certainly no Sleepaway Camp or The Burning or Friday the Thirteenth or Silent Night Deadly Night, in my opinion. I it's not to that level, but it is um, because I just watched it one time. Uh, I'm not sure where it quite falls into place yet. It's not as completely off the rails crazy as something like Pieces was. Um, but it's kind of in that vein to where it's just a hodgepodge of things thrown together and it works. And an example of hodgepodge thrown together that does not work is Splatter University. And 88 Films is actually going to be releasing Splatter University later this year. And I, I got to tell you, uh, I don't know how that movie is going to play out on Blu-ray. And because companies like this really sink a lot of time and money into making these movies look as good as they can and nice packaging and all that. And that movie is so bad um, unless the version I watched was heavily cut. Um, But it's, it's man, that was a, that was a train wreck. And so if that's the bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel uh, slasher eighties splatter university, then this was somewhere Firmly in the middle. It's not my favorite by any means, but it is. Um, it's a quick and easy and fun 85 minutes long. And the ending, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. A lot of these endings ha- are very similar. But for some reason, when the movie was done and the credits started to roll, I'm like, huh, that almost reminded me a little bit of Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses ending. So I wasn't sure if Zombie took his uh, ending from... House of a Thousand Corpses from this movie, or if it's just one of those endings that is kind of your typical horror movie ending. But regardless, I liked it. I thought it was cool how it ended. And uh, it is kind of like the mentally challenged version of, or or the mentally challenged uh, cousin of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there you have Slaughterhouse. So if for nothing else, the cover is awesome. Uh, I remember seeing that cover for years in the video stores back on VHS and I never got around to watching it. And, uh, and I'm glad I didn't cause I'm, I'm pretty certain that the movie was, uh, was edited. So, uh, anyway. Okay. So I was going to, t- to chime in on one more movie, but I am running out of time. I was going to touch on another Roger Corman, uh, directed Edgar Allan Poe movie, but I'm going to wait for that till the next episode more than likely, because I actually have, um, another two, uh, Edgar Allan Poe Corman, directed movies heading my way from Arrow. Uh, so I wouldn't mind doing a whole show on the rest of them, Haunted Palace 
and Pit and the Pendulum, and um, there's one other one that escapes me right now. But anyway, um, I'm going to save those for another time. But anyway, so that's going to do it for my show. All three of those movies, check them out. They're solid flicks. And uh, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com. Uh, as well as visiting our friends, Cinema Sidekicks, on YouTube. Not YouTube, iTunes. Um, If you want to find anything on YouTube, uh, podcast-related, you're not going to find us, Uh, especially Movie Freaks, because we used to be on YouTube, and now we're on iTunes, thank God, and now I'm rambling and I'm done. Uh, So anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time. Mm